this is a wake-up call for a lot of businesses and individuals who are forced to do remote work. And so now they get a chance to sort of take a step back and say, okay, well, I never thought this was possible before. Thankfully, I get a chance to do it. Maybe I'm not enjoying it so much right now, but eventually you can start to design the kind of work you do and pull in some of those things that make it more possible to design a better work-life blend in the future that starts to fit who you are and what you want to do in your life. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. If you have specific questions or concerns, we encourage you to consult a health professional in your local area. From Changelog Media, this is Brain Science, a podcast for the curious. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and what it means to be human. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to transform our lives? I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Dr. Marielle Reese. I don't know about you, but my whole entire spectrum of everything right now is colored by coronavirus. Everything that's happening, all the change that's taking place, my bubble and everyone that I speak with is just, it's its the only topic on mind. What about you? Yeah, most certainly. I, I feel as though it is simply this perpetual change um, that's just all encompassing. So it's been quite the whirlwind with making adjustments, you know, both at home and, you know, with my kids out of school and work and, you know, trying to being in the helping profession and interfacing with people. And, you know, um, especially with what is going on in terms of people's physical health, it is apt to produce other, you know, issues in terms of mental health, too. So, What's even more interesting to me is that um, is that for so many, the new normal is working from home, but not for everybody. Like there's been a large population that has already been working from home. I'm one of them. So, you know, for me, aside from a few things, not much has changed in terms of work and life and balancing all that. You know, obviously, you know, my wife and my kids are at home with me all day. Like, I work from home. I have a home studio. The thing that's really changed is they don't leave. <laughs> they, you know, my son used to go to preschool. <laughs> they would go and do activities. And so they were home like 70% of the time versus 100%. And that's the difference is just that they don't leave and we don't leave to go do things. They go out to eat or go do fun things on the weekend. So, you know, this last week has been colored by just the fact that they never leave and Neither do I. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Well, I think um, we can't help but look at the way in which this is, uh, this experience with coronavirus is changing how we interface with one another. And yeah, we've had a number of different shifts. I mean, I was mainly live face to face with patients and kids in school and husband working, which all of that hit entire apple cart has been upset um, trying to make accommodations. And, you know, 
it it affects all people. So I, I mean, as of within the last 24 hours, am now going to be full-time working from home as well. Which is way different for someone like you. It is. Well, and so with that, it's involved a, you know, a steep learning curve over what, you know, how do I function within the constraints of, um, you know, state and federal laws and, you know, because I... I care about people and of all times that I think people need support, this is this is one of them. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but I, I am beyond grateful for these changes because there have been a number of different constraints for years, which has made it more challenging um, for people to receive psychological services from remote locations. So the fact that this whole experience has opened up that door and that I'm still able to see, you know, clients through a different medium, I am beyond grateful to be able to to help people in that way. And one of the biggest challenges there for for you and them is this missing data component. We've we've talked about this before. This this idea that if you're not face to face, you can't see body language, et cetera. Like you're missing some data to to sort of have a full picture of someone's state. And, and so this is a new normal for you and a new normal, new normal for them, but still you've got this, this missing data component. Yeah. Well, and so it's like we've talked about the value and importance of resiliency with like figuring out how to get back up and how to continue to navigate things when obstacles emerge. And so one of the things that I think is incredibly important is looking at how do we simply make modifications around the way in which we communicate and interface? So even though I, I don't have the full face-to-face with somebody live in my office, there's opportunities to see more of their face and sort of discrepancies between either what they're saying or how they're saying thing and their facial expressions. But it's interesting because technology, you know, isn't all the same in terms of its stability, right? I mean, if somebody's live in front of you, you don't have hiccups in terms of Wi-Fi signals or delayed with words. So it just creates other um, nuances to some of the social exchanges, which is interesting. Yeah. So we have a lot of people going to work, but not going to work. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Yeah. You got this mandatory stay-home uh, you know, this term social distancing, mm-hmm. which I've actually heard it be be said. Um, I forget what it was called. Matt Mullenweg said it. And I'll have to go check out this blog while we're, while we're talking here to confirm. But it wasn't social distancing. It was more it was uh, just on this idea that we still have a relationship. And it's not about socially distancing. It's about physically. Yeah, it was, was it was physically distancing versus socially. I like that. You know, nuance. we're still humans, you know. Yeah. And I I think that this is really important as we talk about, you know, remote work experiences that, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's involved a sort of learning curve of going, what works for me and how do I create that work-life blend or work-life balance wherein I still get to see people? (laughs) I mean, this is why in my area in the Northwest here, there are um, more and more pop-ups with... um, you know, remote locations where people from all different kinds of work arenas can come to the same place and pay mm-hmm. even for a spot one day a week, two days a week or more to be able to interface with other people, 
because there are just these sort of idiosyncratic experiences when we are face-to-face with people that are, or maybe even a better word is haphazard. Like they just happen um, without planning, like water cooler chat or somebody, you know, was walking down the hall past your office and they tripped on accident, right? I mean, right. we we lose those sort of social experiences when we're not face-to-face. And yet they're very necessary and very helpful to being human and, and doing our lives. Yeah, Matt says, I've really had enough of this term social distancing. That is not all we are looking for, is it? We, we should be looking for physical distancing in these times of rampant loneliness, disconnection, and lack of empathy and compassion. We need the opposite. We yeah. need social connecting. Yes, I couldn't have said it better. Because I think about it with some of the the issues that we're now um, trying to navigate in terms of what people have all gone out out of fear and purchased to make sure they don't run out. However, I was having a conversation recently with um, a friend who said how they they needed something like um, for their family, and they just put a message out there to to people like I don't have this. If you see it, can you you know drop it by? And they ended up with like, you know, 10 gallons of water or something like that because they needed this special kind of water. But that's part of community and recognizing there's resources in other people. But how do we we do this, you know, when we need to keep, you know, physical proximity? As somebody had said, uh, a friend of mine said, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people these days via the phone. Yeah. You know, where, you know, don't be that whole social connecting. He finds himself talking to friends more on the phone than like, I guess, generally with Instagram or text or just some sort of like digital connection and a physical phone call to people. Like maybe in this way, like putting a a line out to your your friend group. Hey, if you're going out, we're low on water. Pick us up some if you can. Sure. And then drop it off at the front door. You don't have to come in and say hello or knock or feel obligated, but this idea of like still connecting in ways where we were, we're we're just not, it's so weird. (laughs) It's just so weird to even thought, like talk about this. It's, it's surreal. Sure. And I think that it's important as we have this conversation around, you know, remote work, that this has a whole different sort of qualitative feel to it. When, remember how we talked about our choice as being incredibly valuable that it feels yeah. different. I mean, part of my decision to work remotely wasn't wholly my decision. <laughs> and that out of the safety, there was an executive decision made. And I have tremendous respect and I think it was probably the wisest choice, right? But it's different if you already work from home and that was a choice you had already made because the working from home facilitated other aspects of the life that you wanted to have. Yeah. Right? We, uh, I joked about Contagion, the movie, uh, the last time we had this conversation. We've actually had one episode come before this one on memory, which was recorded prior to coronavirus being a thing. And I guess it was actually while it was happening, but not so much on the restrictions here in the United States. And it's funny that I went back and watched this movie not as entertainment, although it can be entertainment, more so as boot camp and potentially what could happen. Obviously, the the viruses in the movie versus this one is, is different in terms of its effect on humankind. But 
similar in nature and the way it spreads and all the things that happen. And they, they actually said the, the phrase social distancing in the movie. So wow. I was like, like that, the movie is like, I don't know how old it is, maybe like eight years old, 10 years old, but social distancing was a, a phrase in that movie. Isn't wow. That crazy? That's crazy. That's crazy. And it was a coronavirus. <laughs> really? They said the word coronavirus. They said the, the they said are not. They talked about it's, you know, I mean, it's so much of the movie is just so accurate in terms of what you would really deal with in a pandemic. Sure. It's so in, it's just so interesting. Like, you know, could we not have just watched that movie and prepared better? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's almost like what happened here? You know, but, it's interesting even in talking about this and going, you know, I think humor is so valuable and, you know, it doesn't mean people can't be offended by things that others find humorous. However, it's a really functional way to navigate, you know, stress that making light of it and going and not in any way am I making light of this as a serious issue. However, to be able to still go on and manage yourself and your family, loved ones, et cetera, while this is upsetting the sort of normalcy to which all of us have been accustomed for quite some time, right? I heard it said, you know, that just this is so significant. This is going to be in our history books in the years to come because of the way in which it's changed our lives, right? And, you know, I think that um, for anybody who's been allowed to or had the opportunity to work remotely, that there's benefits to it, but like all things, there's different challenges associated with it. And so right. how do people figure out ways to navigate it as best they can, given the constraints that we're all having to deal with at this point in time? I know that most of the research when it comes to remote work has said it's it's generally better in the sense of enhancing productivity, but they can't say why? You know, why would it be that if I let you work from home, that productivity goes up? And I don't know, have you ever heard of Daniel Pink? He wrote a book called Drive, which gets at sort of motivation as a factor. It's on my list to read. (laughs) Well, he talks about this in terms of, you know, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Like there's things sort of internally or intrinsically that drive us. And then there's things outside of us that that are motivating, like, you know, money, right? And so these are critical factors when it comes to however we set up our life. But what he highlights is that extrinsic motivation occurs when we are motivated to perform a behavior or engage in a specific activity to earn a specific reward or avoid a punishment. Mm. And... I don't think any of us want to only feel like work is a reward or avoiding other punishment. I mean, do you? Yeah, I don't think so. That would be be unfortunate if it was. Right? And so this is really at the heart of of learning and and I would say life because life involves learning and adapting. That's what we're all doing right now. And so he talks about motivation with having a few different critical aspects. And they are autonomy, they are par- there is purpose, and then there's mastery. And so what 
he's talking about in terms of autonomy is that we all have this inherent drive to create. There's people who have talked about this with different um, companies in technology, wherein, as far as I understand, they've been allotted a certain amount of time to work on their own creative endeavors. And that there's a portion of your time that it's like, I don't care what you do. We just want you to then share it because this is intrinsic in all of us. This is all of us are are made in a way to create and be creative. Yeah. Right. And so if I'm like, here are the keys, you can have far more flexibility and autonomy to pick when you work, how you work, like all of those things so that you can accommodate other things in your life. Wouldn't it make sense that productivity would go up? Yes and no. Say more. The yes is because that seems to be a good recipe. The the no is not everybody is wired that way. Touche. Not everybody has the necessary self-discipline. And maybe even it's just experience. You know, because I think after a while you can get into a rhythm of remote working and self-discipline and but you know abrupt and and I I guess change where you didn't participate in the choice might be harder to immediately be more productive. Sure. You're going to hit some some challenges in, in this in this change. Most certainly. Most certainly, but part of that comes back down to, you know, really know thyself, right? Yeah. And going when do you work best? I think it's Michael Bruce, who is a sleep researcher, who I think I've alluded to in the past, who talks about um, our sleep cycles and having a genetic component around timetables. So there is sort of early birds, you know, and then there's what he referenced. He assigns an animal to these different sleep types. But it basically gets at how we all work better as based on our sort of sleep rhythm or style. And that is one thing that remote work offers, right? Because if you are a night owl, wherein it's like, no, after, you know, nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock, like that's when I'm like, the juices are flowing. Let's create, let's go. That's going to be hard to get up to be in an office at eight or nine in the morning if you're up until two o'clock in the morning, right? Your most effective hours are in an environment where you're not as effective. Right. So there's, that's just one thing. And then other subsequent dominoes would look like, well, then who else is awake in terms of coworkers if you get stuck or you need other feedback at those times of day? So there's this asynchronous aspect to doing the remote work, right? I think that's the key is the synchronization of of others. Like you can do things asynchronously Mm -hmm. and not be blocked by someone else and let that become a pattern for work rather than now. Not all work is that way though. I mean, some work you can't do asynchronously. Like try building a car <laughs> asynchronously. You know, like you need, I guess you could probably do some of that if it's an assembly line, like you, you know, some parts can get built and then you add the components after somebody else has done things. So that's asynchronously that you don't have to do it together, so to speak, but the next person can't do the thing until the one thing is done. So it doesn't really compute the same for everyone. Yes. Not all work. Yeah, this is why I think it's helpful when we have these conversations, like helping people build a different framework, like a mental sort of grid for how they can make sense of this. And I think of this like a rhythm in all we do and whether you're, you know, at the job, but also 
especially remotely, to say, is there a rhythm that you can work within wherein sort of you can come together and work with people and sort of meet up like people will do and then sort of move away and go asynchronous to to not be, you know, present at the same place at the same time doing the same thing and that, you know, all of us have some sort of hybrid of that and that's what helps us all, you know, work better both with ourselves and with others. But we have to look at what mediums, like we've shared about how you've made changes with how you do the podcasting so that it is more synchronous and you have more data with the visual, you know, um, experience as opposed to solely audio. Yeah. We had for a long time only met up via Skype, which did not have a video component requirement. And only recently, I would say in the last... I want to say like last year, year and a half, maybe we've started to incorporate Zoom where we like I would use Zoom or Hangouts or other things for meetings, but not for the podcast portion of which is like what we do. Right. And, you know, not having that, you know, visual component with somebody else was very, I guess, disjointed and isolating because and obviously there's lack of data there because I can't see the other person, I, especially with the podcast, as you meant mentioned before, this idea of latency coming into play, like in an audio conversation. Well, unless I can see your facial expression, I can't tell if you're trying to jump into the conversation or whatever. Like there's this visual component is gone. Yeah. And so for a long time, we operated without it at all. And only recently did we add that in. And it's, you know, we've gotten so much. For obvious reasons, we got so much amazing feedback that this is the way it should be, should have been before. Yeah. And just based on technical constraints, we made that choice. So Right. But the technology made a significant difference in opportunities, right, that, yeah. that weren't available once upon a time. And so, I mean, I think about it just with how even kids do homework. I mean, I couldn't video chat my friends. When I was in school and be like, what about this problem? Or here's where I'm getting stuck. Wherein that can totally happen for adolescents, college students, et cetera. You know, which is ironically what a lot of college students are looking at now as they're having to continue to go to school while not being on campus. I mentioned the the isolation, I suppose, or the 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 missing component there. A lot of what's happening or has the opportunity to creep in in, uh, in remote working is isolation, obviously. Uh, probably some anxiety because of that. And if disconnected long enough, potentially some depression. Yeah. Well, and so what I would offer is that part of what you lose is actually feedback. You know, part of how we build relationships is over time, really imagine you're constructing a sort of 3D model of a person based on repeated interactions. I mean, you have a sense as based on when you interface with someone, when you text them or email them or call them, how they're going to respond. Do they answer? If so, in what time frame? Because that's part of collecting the data. And in the same way, like... People might respond very short, like which could come across incredibly curt, right? Or sort of cold via in a digital format. Whereas face-to-face, that isn't the same presentation that they provide. When I'm more isolated and I don't have the interaction with coworkers, I sort of forfeit that additional information. 
Not to mention, it also, if I flip the lens back at myself, when I'm looking at feedback I get, like performance, I don't necessarily have to take in the feedback that my supervisor or peers are giving me because how do they know what I'm doing? I might not be meeting my own expectations, Mm. but they don't know that. And so they can say, like, you're doing awesome. But I might then be like, well, they don't really know. because, <laughs> And so it's super easy to minimize that feedback, which then changes how I perform, what I give, how much you know I'm going to offer up. It's really, really a fascinating dynamic, I think. Yeah. Because there's no way that we're going to opt out of relationships with other people. We need other people. Just like yeah. you're talking about to get jobs done. <laughs> Take some self-discipline, that's for sure. You have to be a strong-minded person. I don't want to say strong-willed because I think it doesn't give it enough depth. I think strong-minded, and that's that's a, like an emotional intelligence kind of thing. It's a you know potentially even a professional. I don't know how to describe it really well, but someone who I don't know has good intentions. <laughs> I mean, it, it really takes a lot of. Uh, intention to do it well. Yeah. You have to be purposeful, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, for everyone in going, you know, I think about this a lot in just doing my life as pretty much operating, you know, independently for my practice, as well as being a wife and a mom and involved in other things, endeavors in life and relationships that, you know, I'm always looking at how I allocate my time and, you know, energy so that I'm looking at what is going to give me the biggest bang for my buck. And this is a really important, you know, aspect of decision making when it comes to remote work of saying, what kind of work in what setting at what time am I going to be able to give my best product? Because that's not going to be the same for all of us. Yeah. Right. And going, it's probably harder to interface with coworkers in a certain way if you're sitting at Starbucks working as opposed to if you're sitting at home. And so, hey, I'm going to go do this other thing that's going to benefit me by engaging with other people live face to face. But then it also creates this other dilemma that I can't interface with coworkers in the, you know, distance model in the, yeah. in in another way. That brings up a good point too cuz because of the variant setting that people will be in, whether they're meeting or not meeting, you can have a lot of distractions come into play. You got interruptions, potentially a lot of things that can frustrate you that did not previously frustrate you. And this this change is going to bring that kind of change too, where you kind of just have to get thicker skinned or just be more aware that, you know, if you're working from home and you have children, it's likely that one of them might come in, even if you tell them not to. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay too, right? I mean, that doesn't mean it's okay. You're not going to like yell at your kid or do something not nice or have a negative response because I, I don't know. I'm just thinking about me in particular because when my son comes in, I try to always make sure that my environment is welcoming to him, that he's not. I don't say, hey, come in and bother me during a podcast or something, but there is limitations to that, some constraints to it. But I don't want him to feel like dad's in here working and, you know, 
you know, be a, a mean person, I suppose. I try to be flexible so that he always feels welcomed into my world. You know, and this is my office, it's my world, so that's that's how it works. But, you know, you, you almost planning for, I guess, interruption, frustrating <laughs> things that can happen and take place that didn't take place before. Sure. And, and I think especially now with the changes, you know, talking about this in terms of decision fatigue or like cognitive load, like yeah. a fair amount of like work from home or remote options for work involve a degree of cognitive demand. So if I'm using this decision making and that living like Garmin of going recalculating, recalculating, you know, your brain might be like, and I'm done. Like, I can't handle more distractions or sort of upsetting the apple cart in another way. But the way that we navigate that is recognizing the value of flexibility and going, you know what, like, things are going to just have to be a little chaotic until we can make it work. I mean, that's very much what it's looked like with you know, my schedule and, you know, kids and going, okay, I have to be responsible and help them get work done for school and have some semblance of structure for them while I still need to do my work responsibilities and going, you know what, like it didn't look like it usually does. That's okay. (laughs) We just sort of recalculate, recalibrate and do what we can when we can. Yeah. And I think that really is why people are attracted to remote work options is because of this flexibility. You know, it's different if like you can't leave your job because you have to be physically present for 40, 50, 60 or more hours a week, right? The one thing that's most attractive to people is uh, is getting that commute back. You know, (laughs) whether it's on a bus, on a train, your own car. On a plane, potentially, even if you're a private jet setter, who knows? Yeah. Who knows what our audience is doing out there? But the point is, is that, you know, that commute you get back, like you can reuse that time for, you know, things you didn't have time for before, maybe exercise in the morning. Yeah. Or something that, you know, these things, these kind of norms you should put into your life, given a, a more balanced lifestyle, you know, maybe now you're working out in your garage or your spare bedroom or, maybe even in your bathroom, who the heck knows where you got room for this at. But like, since you can't go to a gym at this point, at least in this very moment of time, you know, you can use that time, that commute time for more positive things. That's the thing I think most people are like, uh, at least here in Houston, trying to drive to, like if you live outside of town in the suburbs going into town, it's at least 45 minutes, if not close to an hour, depending upon if you hit the right traffic at the right time. And if you're just five minutes or 10 minutes later into the traffic, you know, you can go from a 50 minute drive to a hour and 20 minute drive, just like that. Yeah. And imagine doing that twice a day. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's a research study published in Psychological Science in the Public Interest, which talked about this. And it said, on average, people who telecommute 15.1 hours a week or more actually re- report decreased job satisfaction. It's about being able to use this ability to get time back. Yeah. And that just leads to flexibility because if you, for one, if I get to work, uh, like for example, my commute to work is super short. (laughs) So I don't have to get to work potentially already with a certain amount of cognitive load because I'm like dealing with traffic or danger, you know, like driving to work is dangerous. Sure. 
right? So, I mean, maybe you can speak to that, but, you know, I don't have to get to my work already taxed. I can come fresh. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, clarifying that, what what they're saying is, again, this hybrid, like telecommuting is good, but balancing this sort of need for social interaction alongside, you know, having more autonomy and flexibility is going doing it sometimes like it's interesting living where I do because the ferry system is a pretty routine aspect of commuting for people. And so the relationships, ironically, that people build, you know, while they're on the ferries of like, these are the people I hang out with or decompress with on the way back from work. That's true too. Right. So there's different ways and that you can go about doing it. So going, you know, I have some days a week I'm at home, but then there's some days a week I'm going into the office and really it allows sort of meeting multiple needs at the same time. I forget where I was reading this, but talking about people, you know, who were incredibly successful in balancing sort of life and work. And they said sort of the four quadrants of like, you know, work, health, family slash relationships. Um, and I'm totally, you know, blanking on the other one, but but going, we generally only get to allocate to three of them yeah. instead of the four. And really successful people really have to cut off the other two or or really downplay and like that's not where I'm vesting. And so with that, what I think is important as Daniel Pink talks about is this sense of purpose in what we do. And so if I'm working for a company or doing a job that is in line with how I feel like there's value or purpose, it too is going to improve that productivity. Yeah. Work-life blending versus work-life balance. Uh, I've always said work-life balance, and I think the the fourth quadrant might have been play. Yeah. That you, that you I don't know for sure, but I'm just, a, based on what your list was, yeah. play was missing from there. And yeah, we often will do family and do work really well, but forget the play, you know? Right. Well, and I think that this is really challenging for people. I mean, I think of myself in this where my work is a form of play. Mm-hmm. And so it gets sort of muddled and that I have to manage that this is something I really enjoy doing and does give me a lot of meaning and, you know, good stuff. However, I also have to do these other things and manage these other aspects of my life to have more of the blend so that, you know, I don't run all the catastrophic thoughts all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the the ferry, though, and I, I like that you said it that way because not all commutes are the same. Sure. And so not all commutes have to be terrible. Yeah. You know, some commutes can actually be worthwhile. Like, I like the idea of like, oh, well, the, you know, taking the ferry from one island to the one island to the other in Seattle, it, it gives you a chance to experience some nature. There's obvious reasons why people move to that area of the, the country because it's so beautiful. But you get some wind, you get some, you know, some environment, potentially some people that you see often and you can those are relationships forming. It doesn't always just have to be a humdrum car that you're driving yourself and be dangerous. Like I'd mentioned, I like the idea that that commutes can still be enjoyable too. And not just be terrible experiences to get to work. I think the sense of, you know, alignment in going, 
you know, it fits for me or it's worth worth it for me, you know, because there's always some aversive aspect of whatever we do. And so I think about the fairy too. And the negative alternative would be when you miss the fairy, when yeah. you're like trying so hard to get home. And it's like, you might be that like first car in line for the next fairy, which is 30, 40, an hour, an hour later, right? Than what you had planned on. But if I go, I recognize that this is a part of my life and that you're spot on, Adam. There is a a qualitative aspect to being on the ferry. It's experiential. It's, you know, fun in a way if you allow it to be. Yeah. Well, especially if you like to take pictures or just enjoy a bit of nature. Yeah. You know, you would almost design your life to get that, Mm -hmm. you know, design that into this work-life blend, mm-hmm. you know, so maybe for some out there, you know, as, you know, things eventually begin to normalize, this is a wake-up call for a lot of businesses and individuals who are forced to do remote work in, in areas where it's possible. And so now they get a chance to sort of take a step back and say, okay, well, I never thought this was possible before. Thankfully, I get a chance to do it. Maybe I'm not enjoying it so much right now, but eventually you can start to design, you know, the kind of work you do that in that is in line with the four quadrants, as you mentioned, and begin to bu- buffer in some some train opportunities or some ferry opportunities, given your, you know, your geolocation or whatever, but pull in some of those things that make it more possible to design a better work-life blend in the future that starts to fit who you are and what you want to do in your life. Yep. You know, it's interesting as you talk about this, um, Adam, because it just stands out to me how significant all data is. We can we can say, well, I don't like, you know, the feedback. I don't like the experience. I don't like you. You name it. Or I don't even like this entire episode, right, <laughs> that we're having to walk through. However, the data isn't irrelevant. Yeah. Just because even you discovered these things via this experience, it's still data. And if I discard data, be like, well, I didn't like it. So I just, that would never fly in any research, (laughs) (laughs) right? Well, imagine working, you know, anywhere and being like, well, I didn't like that item. So I threw it away. I went to that that cantaloupe, you know, that box of food or that box from Amazon that I got that was all mangled. Well, I just threw it away because... I didn't like what it looked like. Mm. I didn't like how it made me feel. That's, we can't learn, right? And so we want to be open to the data, you know, within ourselves, from ourselves, around how we shape our lives and the choices we make, especially around work. You know, I don't remember who it was, but it was some years ago listening to a leadership, you know, seminar or conference. And this person emphasized how important it was to actually live close to your work. And, you know, it is challenging. Like when I relocated out here, I thought for sure I was going to have to make a significant commute between living where I wanted to live and working where I wanted to work. Mm. And I'm so grateful because that I do have that in such close proximity. There's other challenges, of course, that emerge with that, but it's my preference for sure. So if people can can sort of, you know, listen, like I think about it in talking about this sense of pers- purpose, there was um, an article 
written by somebody in the tech field who, you know, explained his experience in working remotely with Buffer. And Mm -hmm. he talked about this like 45 days of boot camp that he went through with the company to sort of see like, does what you want and what we want work well together? Mm -hmm. And that like, they love doing that job because it fits well. Lastly, when we're talking about this sense of what makes a difference, what data is relevant, is finally this sense of mastery. So Daniel Pink identifies autonomy as this inherent drive to create, this sense of mission or purpose. You know, we have this drive to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, but we're driven to master certain things. And so we need feedback. And if we're working remotely, how do we manage sort of boredom, anxiety, like sort of appropriate level of challenge as opposed to, you know, it's too easy and I'm bored and then I don't know how to fill my time and then I'm anxious. Yeah, I can't, uh, I can't imagine that. That's, that's tough. Right. Well, so even for you, right, like what is your mechanism for feedback? Because you, you don't have a boss, you're not working for anybody else and you're by yourself much of the time. Yeah. So where do you get your data around how you're doing? Do you know? Uh, you know, I, I think I've been self-driven for a while. And so I think it's it's just by nature. And I, I think the way I judge is by happiness. You know, what I do is uniquely different than any other job I've ever done in my life. And so I think if I'm happy, if I enjoy it, if I see a community forming around the work that we're doing, you know, and they're happy, then I think those are things I see as like, I I kind of fall in love with the process, I suppose, rather than just simply the artifacts that might come, whether it's, it's a business, so revenue or new opportunities, or I try to focus on the things that make it enjoyable and let that be my indicator, my feedback, rather than just simply, oh, we've got to you know, have 10 podcasts by the end of the year. That's not, that's not the metrics we uh, are confined by. It's, it's about the mission, I suppose, more so than just simply the, the destination. You know, you just did an excellent job of summarizing intrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. That your feedback, the data that you're looking at really comes from within you and having that awareness and looking at does the activities I'm doing and investing in resonate with what's already inside of me. And I think that is a critical component when people are looking at remote work. Ask yourself, are you extroverted? Are you introverted? To what degree do I need to be face-to-face with people? What obstacles or challenges can I imagine encountering that would look different or feel different if I changed the location of where I work? Because when I can see things from that broader panoramic perspective, it helps me look at and be better able to identify if it's going to fit and maybe even if it fits for how long or how much of that part of my work do I want to make my living from, right? Because like we're talking about, it's really different if it's like you're only ever always by yourself versus oh, I'm going to do this part of work, you know, be it time limited, like three months, 
or more like a day a week. Like people talk a lot about like sort of chunking when they're self-employed and sort of like batching chunking. These are these are well-known things for getting things done. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, this is how I get into my sense of flow where I'm most productive. These are, are more challenging for me. They take up, you know, more energy. So I'm going to like put my most attention on those first so that I can then move on to the next thing. I think when people realize that, you know, there's other ways of doing things that might not have been the way that they've always been done, but that they could work if they're willing to go explore, it can allow them to discover, you know, more about themselves and their lives and how they want to function within the world. Because look, every single person, every single one of us is unique. And I believe wholeheartedly that we all have a specific design to fulfill a different role within the broader context within the world. And so when we have a sense of respect around that and when we seek to do sort of work that speaks to us from the inside out, it has far more reaching effects, not just for ourselves, but our entire community. And that's really when the work becomes fun, much more process-based, and you want to do it just because you can't help yourself, it's really for the love. All right, share your thoughts on working from home at changelaw.com slash brain science slash one five. This is episode 15. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor. This is a huge help, by the way. Tweet about this show to your friends, blog about it. Go with the iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. If you use Overcast, favorite it. Word of mouth is still one of the best ways for podcasts to be discovered. Our music for this podcast is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And if you want to hear more shows like this, subscribe to our master feed at changelaw.com slash master or go in your podcast app and search for Changelaw Master. You'll find it. We have one feed to rule them all, get all of our shows as well as some extras that only hit the master feed. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. Mm-hmm.